Kevin McCarthy has decided he's willing to try a baseless impeachment of Joe Biden in order to keep his job. Uh, is he also willing to shut down the government to keep his job? And if he does, who will that hurt politically in 2024? The Republicans want Americans to believe Joe Biden is both too senile to function and a criminal mastermind. When these allegations come up in your office break room, we'll tell you how to fend off both at the same time. The Biden campaign is starting re-election spending, they're spending on re-election much earlier than usual in hopes of juicing some troubling poll numbers. We'll talk about how you can make the case to your friends and family about Biden's re-elect. Welcome back to the podcast that helps you, the 54% of the country that votes for progress in every election. Convince your, your conservative friends and family members to join our majority. This is Majority 54. All right, Jason. Well, big announcement this, mor this morning from Kevin McCarthy. Let's go to this clip. Despite these serious allegations, it appears that the president's family has been offered special treatment by Biden's own administration. Treatment that not otherwise would have received if they were not related to the president. These are allegations of abuse of power, obstruction, and corruption. And they warrant further investigation by the House of Representatives. That's why today I am directing our House committee to open a formal impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. This logical next step will give our committees the full power to gather all the facts and answers for the American public. That's exactly what we want to know, the answers. I believe the president would want to answer these questions and allegations as well. This effort will be led by Chairman James Comer at the Committee on Oversight in coordination with Chairman Jim Jordan for Judiciary Committee and Chairman Jason Smith on Ways and Means. Now, I do not make this decision lightly. And regardless of your party or who you voted for, these facts should concern all Americans. Ravi, what the hell is going on here? Like, do we live in a constant state of impeachment now? Is that how America works? Like, will you please explain this? Well, I mean, the obvious thing to point out is this is the ongoing uh, false equivalency project from the right, right? Which is... You know, right. now our guy is going to get impeached and therefore the impeachments are all equal. Everybody's getting impeached. It's like it's the whole Hunter mm -hmm. Biden's corrupt. Jared Kushner's corrupt. The Trump's are corrupt. The Biden's are corrupt. Even Rogan said that Biden's are more corrupt. And I'm just like, I mean, people, they're counting on the American people not being able to distinguish the magnitude uh, and severity of allegations. That's what they're they're counting on. Now we have to take seriously that they could be right about that. So we have to vigilantly push back on what it is they're saying. He says, these allegations should concern us all. What allegations exactly, you may ask? I, I actually wasn't, as somebody who follows this very closely, wasn't exactly sure what they were going to go with because there's so many things they've thrown at Biden. Uh, but let's look at a couple of clips of McCarthy kind of meandering his way through this. Because remember, this is a, an impeachment inquiry, not an impeachment, Jason, because he did not have the votes. Well, hold on. Will you, will you, will you explain the difference for people? Because like, I don't, I still don't think I know. It's basically like we get to, we, I you explain the difference for people. Cause I don't think I can. 
Yeah, I, I'm going to try here. I mean, it's just, first of all, mm-hmm. like he had, he had promised previously that he would bring this whole thing to a vote before, but he, did, he apparently doesn't even have the votes of his own people to move forward with this. Cause it, so that's notable. But two is they're just, they're just trying to utilize the subpoena power and investigatory power of the house to serve political aims, right? That's what they're doing right now. And they're, it's a fishing expedition. And, uh, you know, McCarthy was actually asked about some of the things I just mentioned. Uh, I think it was Manu Raju from Politico. Uh, let's go to this clip. This is the just asking questions inquiry, Jason. <laughs> yeah. That's where we are. He yeah. literally just says it. He literally at the end says, we're just asking some questions. We're just asking questions. <laughs> you know? But that, it feels like asking questions is a thing Congress gets to do without trying to impeach someone. Uh, I, I feel like that's like oversight. And, didn't, and like they've created like oversight committees on steroids. They've created committees whose job it is to conduct oversight over the overseers. Like to, to go back and look at investigations of Trump and see whether they were okay. It just, it really, I mean, I think to your point a moment ago, it just feels like they're like, look, we're either going to end up with Trump as our nominee, or we're going to end up with somebody who said they would pardon Trump uh, as our nominee. So either way, we're, we will have corruption credibly hung around our necks. So we have to muddy the waters and make the average independent voter who is already deeply skeptical of both parties feel that that skepticism is confirmed and and they can just go with whatever their baser instincts are. So if they're a, a somewhat conservative leaning or just anti-woke or whatever they are, they can go, well, I'm going to go with that because all the rest of this stuff is equal because they're all bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and this McCarthy eventually provides more evidence. So he starts to give us a sense of what they're looking for. Uh, this is Raju, I think, again with McCarthy, but with a much clearer uh, feed of audio for the audio listeners, this will be a lot easier to follow. There's less shouting. You've got an FBI. I'm about what official I, I, action I'm you guys proven you. that shows that Joe Biden acted, took official action. Okay, did, did, did that, did, is this impeachment or is this impeachment inquiry? Impeachment inquiry is the ability to get the information to answer the questions. That's all we're doing. America needs the answers. You've got an FBI informant that alleges there was a bribery. You've got um, his own business partner saying that they were selling the brand. Were they not? Did the president know the brand was selling when he first lied to us and said he had no dealings, but now we know he was calling in to the businesses. We now know that he was going to dinners. Did the people that gave him $3.5 million to pay for that Porsche, did they just think it was a brand or did they think they were getting something else for it? We now know when he said he had nothing else to do with it, but he had Suno emails, 5,400 of them, where he has the vice president and his son, I'm gonna communicate with the, president of Ukraine, we know from the business partner that Burisma on the board with him was getting a lot of pressure from the prosecutor. The president's own words, he says, I held up a billion dollars of American taxpayer money 
to fire the prosecutor that was going after Brady. All I want to know is if what the president says, because what he said before is not hasn't been proven true yet, and then you've got the IRS agents coming out, just get the information proof. That's what impeachment well, is. Well, so Devin, 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 Devin Archer has said no business. That was like a lot of words. Well, well, you're more familiar with this world. Can you yeah, break some just, of this down? I'll just pick the last one, right, which is this allegation okay. that Biden got this prosecutor fired in Ukraine. This has actually been long, long uh, clarified. So basically the background here is that uh, Joe Biden, uh, back when he was vice president, leveraged $1 billion in aid that we provided to Ukraine to get them to fire this guy, Victor Shokin, in March of 2016. So like in the final years, um, sorry to, to let me, let me get this timeline right. This <laughs> See, it's confusing all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, March of 2016. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so Biden, um, pushed for the ouster of this prosecutor Shokin, right? And this prosecutor, this was not just a United States uh, effort. The uh, EU ambassador to the Ukraine wanted this prosecutor fired. Civil society wanted this prosecutor fired. And they wanted him fired not because of anything to do with Burisma or anything like that. They wanted him fired because he wasn't going after corrupt people within Ukraine. And a big part of the U.S.'s efforts uh, in Ukraine was to uh, push for, you know, core reforms to its system to make them less corrupt. And yes, okay, I was just trying to get my timing right. This was March 2016, the end of the Obama presidency. So um, the so the, people are saying, okay, Biden uh, actually had an ulterior motive here. So you'd have to believe that he had an ulterior motive, but everybody else in the, sort of the coalition, NATO, uh, our allies within the government, had their independent reasons or somehow were manipulated by Biden to go after this uh, prosecutor. The other, th and by the way, Senate Republicans looked at this and found no wrongdoing. Uh, it's also important to know that the timing doesn't li line up. So uh, in 2014, this guy Shokin investigated Burisma for money laundering and tax irregularities. The probe focused on 2010 to 2012. Hunter Biden didn't even join the board till 2014. So he wasn't a focus at all of the inquiry. And uh, if you, there's all these articles that interview civil society leaders uh, in Ukraine, including uh, the National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine, uh, who said that this was absolutely independent of anything going on with Hunter Biden and Burisma. And a lot of people like this woman, Daria Kalinok, who's the co-founder of the Anti-Corruption Action Center of Ukraine, who said, yeah, this prosecutor needed to go. We all agreed he needed to go. So it's just bullshit. He knows this bullshit. The Senate Republicans had looked at this and also found it was bullshit. Well, let me just say a moment of appreciation between the two of you. You're the one who's willing to like trudge through this mud all the time and <laughs> well you have to because it's a pretty, pretty, this. the problem is and it's I'm, a public I'm, service i'm confusing myself it. honestly like in the beginning there it's like i'm trying to confuse myself of the timelines around this kind of stuff but but look and the rest of it we've, we've talked about some of the other stuff like they're talking mm -hmm. about oh biden was having business meetings these were the phone calls if you remember where hunter biden's calling up his dad being like where god knows where he is and he's like hey it's my dad or whatever you know and it's like or he'll be in a different country joe biden will have dinner with his son and maybe he brings along some of his business associates with him, which is not great. Joe Biden shouldn't do that, right? You should vet everybody you sit down with, including your son's friends. But at no point has anybody alleged 
that Biden was conducting any business, that he was aware of any of the business, that they discussed any business. And being a little dumb politically is not a crime. Uh, and at no point have we alleged anything other than some nice dad stuff that probably was dumb politics. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty convinced not to vote for Hunter Biden. Yeah. I, for, I'm for with president. you. Uh, and you know uh, what? Who's who? You know who is not convinced not to vote for Hunter Biden? Hunter Biden himself. The guy is. Yeah, he's, he's like, not, hey man, <laughs> he's he's not Jared Kushner. You know. Yes, right. I mean, look, like Hunter Biden, like deserves, like I think the prosecutor, like look, like people need to look into like whatever Hunter Biden is doing and make sure he follows the law like anybody else. Like it's definitely certain that if he was any normal person, he wouldn't be getting that kind of scrutiny, but that's the cost of doing business when you run for president. You know there's going to be more scrutiny on your family. The difference, though, is there is a Republican prosecutor who is held on from the Trump administration who is investigating these claims and who is now given special counsel status. And part of the allegations from McCarthy is that the that Biden is somehow giving special treatment to Hunter Biden. Now, that special treatment includes Appointing a special counsel who is appointed by Donald Trump. That's the special treatment you allege. Yeah, it's uh they're they're getting rather desperate, but it to your point earlier, it could work, right? I mean for sure. You remember Benghazi. Remember, I mean, yeah, I mean like, I worked and, for Susan and that Rice. Was McCarthy. Benghazi, the whole Benghazi stuff destroyed Susan Rice's uh chances of becoming Secretary of State. She was on the fast track to becoming Secretary mm -hmm. of State. It probably destroyed her chances of, you know, remember she was on the short list for vice president, right? Mm -hmm. Like this kind of stuff matters. Benghazi also stuck to Hillary Clinton. Um it, it damaged mm -hmm. her, the whole Big process time. of that whole thing. So like this stuff matters. We need to take it seriously. We need to fight it. We need to be aware of it. We have to understand the facts. Unfortunately for us, that also means that we need to follow every dumb accusation that comes out. And I also think really importantly, we need to admit whenever something dumb happened, right? Like, like you know, if, mm -hmm. if Biden continues to wade into what his son did or didn't do, we need to speak up and be like somebody over there, tell him to stop doing that, right? Which I did on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think that helps when you're talking to people about this. Be like, yeah, like, there's some dumb stuff going on here that actually makes total sense if you're a parent, but also doesn't make a lot of sense if you're the president of the United States in 2023, right? And like mm -hmm. you have to, we elect you to be president, not to be dead. And we need you to be a, a focused president. And as Democrats, we need you to be a disciplined uh, political actor. And sometimes he's not always that. I can understand it, but, he's, but he needs to clean it up. The people around him need to clean it up. It seems like they've been doing a better job uh, in the past few weeks on this. And what you're saying, what you're saying is, is that that's what people listening should do when they're, when this stuff comes up is you have to, for sure. if you, you, you'll seem completely unreasonable if you don't at least concede like, yes, from an appearance perspective, there's probably things that if he hadn't been trying to be a good dad, he could have cleaned up. Right. And then, because yeah. you've got, you've got to speak to that now. Uh, what is interesting to me about this and really scary is that I don't think Kevin McCarthy wants this. I mean, clearly, no. he, he's been trying to avoid this. He doesn't think this makes any sense. Now he's having to sound like it does. And that is comical on one side and scary on the other. Comical in the sense that I promise you that there are conversations, because McCarthy and Biden have to talk on a semi-regular basis just to, to do their jobs. And I promise you that 
w- that those conversations, not about impeachment, but about other things, sound a lot like McCar- McCarthy confiding in Biden. Like, hey, I got a lot, as you know, I got a lot of crazies that I got to deal with. And Biden yeah. being like, I know we're trying to we're trying to stay out of your way while you do it. Like they there's no doubt in my mind that they have to often work together as a pair in in creating space for McCarthy to act in ways like like when it comes to funding the government. Biden knows that if he does certain things, it's going to make McCarthy's job harder with the craziest people in his caucus. And what is wild to me is that now impeaching the guy that he has to have or making an inquiry, whatever, about impeaching the guy that he that he has to have those working relationship conversations with has become a part of that triangulation. Like you can hear it in the way he's talking about it when he talks about an inquiry versus an impeachment that. McCarthy is trying to take, and it's such a weird thing to say, a moderate stance on impeaching a guy who didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And that's how extreme, and I think that's something important to point out to people when you talk about the Republican Party wholesale, is that they've so gone off the deep end that you've got their speaker in order to hold on to his job, having to launch an, an impeachment inquiry that he quite clearly does not believe has any merit whatsoever. Right. And, you know, these people who uh, took back the House for Republicans, especially in the swing districts, and there's a lot of the people who, um, you know, made it you know impossible for McCarthy to get to a majority on this inquiry are probably saying, look, I promised my constituents all this stuff that we focus on the opioid epidemic mm-hmm. and this and that and inflation and if they see me day after day sitting next to marjorie taylor green with crotch shots of hunter biden it's gonna like really hurt my credibility as we enter the final stretch of this campaign you know um speaking of like important issues you talked about the shutdown so the house reconvened yesterday with a very pressing deadline uh i guess very is not necessary in that sentence Uh, a deadline a pressing (laughs) deadline to fund the government uh, they have to fund it by September 30th. Uh, there's a lot of details here, but I just want to pause, Jason. Why is this always the—it feels like we take a breath and there's another thing. Like, you know, like we're going to default on our debt. We can't fund the government. What the hell? Like, why can't we just fix this? It's like, man, get in the writer's room and come up with a different way to end the season because you ended last season this way. And and it's just like we're, we're done with this cliffhanger. Uh you know, I think at the end of the day, doesn't it just come down? And and this is how I would talk about it with people in your lives. Doesn't it just come down to the fact that the Republicans don't really want to fund the government at all? Like well, there's not really a level at which they do. And so, and, and the Freedom Caucus is clearly in charge. Like this is what we thought and feared would happen when McCarthy just barely became speaker. When, when Kevin McCarthy just barely realized what is clearly a lifelong self-actualizing dream for himself personally that is not for the best of the nation, it, it meant that there would be Uh, that there would be a minority of the Republican Party that would have a hugely disproportionate level of power over him because they can initiate essentially a a reconsideration of him as speaker at any time. And and that's, I think, where we are now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Gates is continuing to go after him. I haven't heard a lot from Gates until recently. It seems that Gates only kind of materializes when there's something going on with McCarthy. It's weird. He's almost like he's like a character in the McCarthy drama. But you talk about the the government, the Republicans not wanting to fund the government. Uh, the Freedom Caucus 
have demanded cuts to all 12 appropriations bills. Uh, and so this is what they're asking for. Uh, and in an August letter, they also asked for uh, a border security bill. So basically, they want cuts in other things. They want increases for them. They basically want to be president, uh, essentially what I think <laughs> yeah, yes, they're exactly. saying. You know? They want, actually, the yeah, president they, doesn't even have a line item veto. They have a line item veto, it seems, with McCarthy here. Yeah. It's a really good point. And I think it's a, it's a good way to talk about all this stuff, all of these issues, whether it's impeachment, whether it's border security, whether it's the funding of the government, all the different stuff. Supreme Court picks, you know, from the past few years that the Republicans in the Senate have, uh, have blocked. It's an important, I think, point that you can fall back on in these conversations when you talk about the state of American politics and you talk to somebody about which party is to blame for what, you know, we always think of it as uh, that the Democrats are the party of government because we tend to think that government has some value to provide and that the Republicans are the party of being against government. And I think that that's basically true. But if you're talking to someone who votes Republican, that's too simplified for them. And they're, they're going to be like, they're not going to buy into that. That's going to sound like just... Um, something that's just kind of overly mean from their perspective and they'll feel attacked by it. But I think what you're saying is important, which is another way you can go with it is, is that, look, I, I'm with Biden and the Democrats because I think that there are roles to play in, in the country and that, that these jobs that we've given these elected people have certain lanes for a certain reason. And ever since, you know, about 2017, when Trump took office, all, or even prior to that, when Merrick Garland was blocked, these roles are are being uh, blurred, and it's because the Republicans won't accept the idea that certain roles have certain powers, and it's why nothing is happening in this country. You go back to you know McConnell deciding, well, it doesn't matter if it's the president's uh, right to nominate someone, and we're supposed to advise and consent. We're just not going to do it. We want to be president, and we want to pick who it is. And then you get into you know Trump abusing power in a myriad of ways. And now you have the House saying, like, no, actually, we'll decide what is actually in a budget that passes, not the president. And we see this at every level, right? Like when you think about what's happened in, in states like North Carolina, where a Democrat became the governor a few years ago, and then they pared back the powers that the governor has, or what we talked about last week in Wisconsin, where the Democrats won uh, a, a seat that is basically the swing seat on their state Supreme Court. And before before uh, the new justice takes the chair, they're talking about impeaching and removing that person. Like, maybe it's not just an argument about abuse of power and having the wrong ideas. Maybe it's just, hey, America doesn't work when people don't understand that they're supposed to do the job they're elected to and not the jobs they're not. Yeah, it is weird because it comes at a time when there's some really interesting legislating going on in the Senate. Uh, so the you know we don't we haven't done a lot of policy stuff here on Majority Fifty Four as of late, but we come as a week where the Senate's holding hearings on artificial intelligence. They have all the big tech leaders coming in. Josh Hawley and Blumenthal have agreed to a framework to regulate AI, and I'm very hard on on Hawley on a lot of things, but I think what they're doing on AI is really important. And the problem is the Senate is not the entirety of Congress, and the Senate is a mess, and the filibuster makes it hard to do anything, but there is serious things that need to be done in this country, you know, mm -hmm. um, and they're just not getting done. Well, okay, uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Biden's big messaging blitz. We're also going to, you know, sneak in a discussion of, of some of these hot takes around Biden's age and whether he should run again. We'll weigh in 
on that question and, and whether it should be Biden or somebody else. All of this and more when we come back. This episode is sponsored by Roan. If you're like me, you understand the pains of finding what to wear. Most clothes are uncomfortable. They may be too tight. They never, you know, actually fit your size because, you know, a lot of us are not exactly small, medium, large, extra large. We're complicated. Sometimes when you find something you like, you can only wear it for a few hours before that important meeting or dinner, and then you have to change it into something else. And everyone wants to dress their best. You want to look good at all times. And frankly, it's a confidence booster. So here's the deal. Men's closets were due for a radical reinvention and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter collection is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible set of products known to man, and here's why. Roan helps you get ready for any occasion with the commuter collection, which offers the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, and polos. You never have to worry about what to wear when you have the Roan commuter collection. And here's some anecdote. I'm wearing my Roan pants right now. And last week I was at a wedding. I wore my Roan uh, button-down shirt to the wedding at a formal wedding and I will also wear it tomorrow when I just you know go into a coffee shop to have a meeting it's that versatile so it's time to feel confident without the hassle with Roan's wrinkle release technology wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the products it's that easy yeah I actually you know not so neatly folded that shirt in my bag for the wedding and I was able to take it out and Automatically, I was able to put it on. It looked like I had ironed it, but I didn't. You know, it's an inside secret between us. So with Gold Fusion anti-odor technology, you'll also be smelling fresh and clean all day. On top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can dish the dry cleaner all together. We're on the move a lot, and the Roan commuter collection has never let me down. The versatility and overall comfort of the collection is undefeated. I absolutely love it. And even after I wear it all day, I feel super fresh because that Gold Fusion fusion anti-odor technology at that wedding i was dancing up a storm wore it no problems so the commuter collection can get you through any work day and straight into whatever comes next so head to roan.com majority and use the promo code majority to save 20 percent off your entire order that's 20 percent off your entire order when you head to r-h-o-n-e.com majority and use the code majority it's time to find your corner office comfort Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. And personally, I don't even like regular roller coasters. I've had enough risk and fear and adrenaline in my life. I don't, I don't really do roller coasters, uh, you know, but I guess if you do, you're like, hey, it looked like fun at first. I mean, with the wireless plan, maybe they threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills like overages and surprise fees. And if that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it is time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just $15 a month. Think about how much you could be saving. Think about what you could be doing with that, right? Like like when you're scrolling through your phone, like if you're like me, every once in a while you visit the app store and you're like, is there anything here that I just absolutely need that I'm not aware of? And then you're like, oh, $4. I'm not going to do that. Well, now if you did this, you'd be like, mm, I have $4. You could get that thing that you really don't need that you didn't know about that it turns out you need. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your big wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. All plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. 
ditch big wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get premium wireless service for just 15 bucks a month. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash majority. That's mintmobile.com slash majority. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash majority. All right, Ravi, uh, just now, while we were listening to these ads, I noticed some breaking news that we should talk about, which is uh, Senator Mitt Romney announced that he is not going to run for re-election. Uh, and now he was supposed to be up next year. Um, and he's, in fact, in saying that he's not going to run for re-election, he talked about Trump and Biden and said that we need a new generation of leaders, specifically said that he, at the end of his next term, would be in his, in his mid-80s, and he thinks that's too old. Uh, and so he's saying we need a new generation of leaders he's not going to run. Uh, how do we feel about this? How do we feel about Mitt Romney leaving the scene? Not good, I think. Yeah, I agree. Not good. I mean, he is... I think people often use a litmus test for somebody like Romney, which is like, what would I do? Uh, and I think like the, mm -hmm. and that's an, that's important litmus test, but I think he's as good as you're going to get from Utah and from the GOP caucus. And we know that because he's voted time and again to hold Trump accountable. He's, he's been willing to say things that other Republicans weren't able to say. Yes, we want him to say more. Yes, we want him to do more. No, he doesn't vote like a Democrat. Uh, but if you use the test, which is like, how does he deviate from the average Republican elected official in Congress? I mean, it's not even close, right? Like, especially mm -hmm. on the core democracy issues, right? He's a pretty right-wing figure when it comes to standard policy issues. But I do think his replacement is very likely to be worse. I also think that you need Republicans in power who are willing to call BS on some of Trump's uh, BS. And that's really bad. I also think his rationale makes sense. Like, I do think, as we'll get to, I do think it, like, there are certain people like Feinstein who stay too long, um, Mitch McConnell stay too long, and, like, it's important to step aside for a new generation. Uh, it's mm -hmm. also important to just say, I'm tired. Like, the guy's been in public service for a long time, you know, and... I think it's acceptable just to be like, I'm, I'm done, you know? I don't like throwing to, Trump and Biden together, but, you know, what do you expect? To be fair, there's a good chance that Mitt Romney saw polls that said he probably wasn't going to win re-election uh, because he was going to have a primary from the right that might be successful uh, in Utah. And he went, you know, maybe I'll win, maybe I won't, but it's not worth going through this. Right. Uh, and the dude has like a gazillion grandkids and he... You know, I think that's part of it. But all of that together, it, it is every time, to your point, every time we lose somebody in the opposition party who you can actually talk to, it is not good for the country. And I think that if if we were Republicans uh, and somebody were leaving, we would feel the same way. Like, no matter what's your point of view, when there's someone on the other side of the table who you can actually talk to, you, you want those people to stay there. And I remember it when I was in uh, the state legislature 100 years ago, I remember how frustrating it was that uh, back then, before Missouri was as gerrymandered as it is now, there were quite a few districts that were swing districts, and they were general, generally they were represented by people who we would work with. The they would those were the Republicans we could work with in order to actually get stuff done because they were, in many cases, truly moderate, but in most of those cases, incentivized to at least govern in a moderate way. 
but they were also the ones we were most likely to be able to beat. And so you would spend a lot of time trying to beat the only people who you could actually get anything done with. And it, it could be very frustrating. And that's, you know, it's different here because he would lose to somebody from the right. But either way, it's it's difficult to lose the people that you can actually deal with on the other side. So it's a, I don't know. I don't have any thoughts other than that's probably not good. Our friend Spencer Cox, who's been a guest on the show and is the governor of Utah and is a, uh, you know, I would say, a, I don't know if moderate, but a rational Republican governor in many respects uh, and is a, is a good friend, is up for re-election as governor. And so I think he will not be running, is my guess. I haven't asked him. But yeah, and so even, there's if you're that. being honest, if you're Spencer Cox, you'd much rather be governor than senator. Like he would have a much tougher Absolutely. road to become senator. Um, yeah, that's tough. Unless he thinks think, that he could win that Senate seat and hold it longer. I don't know what the term limit situation is in Utah, but I agree. Spencer Cox is probably the only Republican in Utah that I can think of that other than maybe Evan McMullen, who I don't even think is a Republican anymore, who could be equal to or better than Romney from a Democrat's perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But maybe, you know, hopefully we'll be proven wrong on that. Uh, so, well, before we get to, you know, Biden has been doing this messaging blitz, but before we get to that, uh, let's talk about this piece, Jason, by David Ignatius in the Washington Post. The title of this piece is, and Ignatius has been a pro-Biden columnist. He says, President Biden should not run again in 2024. And he uh, basically quotes Biden at the front of this piece saying that we're in the battle for the soul of the nation. He says that Biden's greatest accomplishment was defeating Donald Trump. And he also gives Biden credit for a lot of things he did, but says he's old and unpopular and there's a new generation in waiting, and he should step aside. Uh, he, uh, this has uh, attracted some attention. Uh, it's an ignited a debate. Jason, where are you on this question? You know, here's where I am on this question. Uh, it wouldn't even matter. What, I, I haven't even honestly taken the time to decide whether he should run for re-election um, and give it that much thought because he's going to, and we don't have, yeah. and I'm just talking to like the listeners of this show. Like if you're listening to this, you don't have any power over the decision of him as to whether he tries to retain his job. Like right. all you have is, is like, like it's a, it's a huge waste of energy to go into that. And, but when I go into it, I, it's just such a sticky wicket, man. Like, let's say, cause if you're mm-hmm. Biden, you're looking at it going, all right, uh, I mean, because I'm sure Biden's considered all this, right? I'm sure Biden has looked at it. He looks at his poll numbers and he says, all right, is, should, is the best thing for the country that I don't run, right? But then you've got to ask yourself the same question that he had to ask himself last time, which is, if I don't run, and it turns out that I was the best person to hang on to this office, how am I going to live with myself, right? And, and the only thing he has agency over uh, is actually trying to win. And so that's why I just don't see this happening. I, I think that if... As a person who and who can say that I have been afflicted at some point in my life with the with the belief that I was when Trump was president the the best person to defeat the worst person ever to be president. Once you come to that conclusion, until something really big happens in your life, like it did for me, you're not going to be disavowed of that. And if you believe that, then you believe you have a patriotic and moral duty to do it. And so. Whether that's right or wrong, that's what I think Joe Biden believes, and that's that's the horse that we're going to be riding, and people need to figure figure out how to make that argument. Yeah. I'll be a little bit more pointed on this, and some of our audience members aren't going to like this, although maybe you will, because 
Polling shows, this is from Thursday, CNN poll, that two-thirds of Democratic-leaning donors say the party should not nominate Biden for a second term. So there are a lot of people out there who are very fond of Joe Biden, who don't think he should run again. And I count myself among them, uh, in part because 82 is, is, is old, 86 is older, which is what he'd be at the end of his term. And um, I do think age matters. I'm not an ageist. It's just that like there's a reason why, like in certain very critical jobs, um, we like take into account somebody's age. There's also like a, there's a super compelling generation of people coming up behind him that I think do deserve a chance to make their case to the American public. And I think there is a good chance that, that one of those people would have a better shot of beating Trump than Biden. I think Biden won last time. Uh, and basically, you know, Obama used to say like, I, my poll numbers aren't here to put on a shelf and admire. Right. And Biden has lived that in his presidency. He has fought the fight. Mm -hmm. He's passed a lot of great legislation. He took out Trump. He continues to, I think, be a really good president. And you could think two things at the same time, which is one, I think he's a really great president. Um, I think he could potentially be a historic president. And at the same time, the responsible thing would be not to run again. But I'll add, if he does run again, I'm 100% with him. And you're right. Like, it's potentially a moot point. And like, I respectfully think he shouldn't run again. I'm not like here foaming at the mouth. I think it's the best interest of the party and country for him not to run. But if, and which basically are here, he's going to continue to run again, I will be 100% behind him, if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, the thing is, is like every time I try and play out what would happen if he didn't run, I mean, the arguments, you know, if you want to make the point you make about like his age and that kind of thing, it's a it's a reasonable point of view, right? But then what Ignatius is arguing here and what most people who talk about this say is that it makes him so vulnerable that therefore he has a responsibility not to run, right? Because yeah. then they talk about how Kamala Harris is, is, is not popular and the Republicans are going to say, look, she's the one who's actually going to end up being president. And so they run against her, which is, I'm sure, the case they're going to make. For sure. And and then, you know, when they say, look at how much damage has been done to him politically because, you know, A, because of his age, but B, because of all the the stuff that's going on with what we talked about a few minutes ago with this impeachment inquiry and everything. But the, the problem with that and why that is naive is because it assumes that in, in that there's anybody else on the spectrum that you can put in to his place. Who's not going to end up with just different and possibly worse baggage, right? Because yeah. and I hate to use the term baggage because so much of it is just because he's accomplished things, but baggage manufactured by the Republicans, because one, you'd have to have a primary and you're right. There is, uh, you know, you and I personally know most of them, the people who, who would be in line to, to jump into that primary and it's going to be a big fight and people are going to dump opposition research on each other. And that's going to create, uh, you know, some drag on folks. And at the end of the day, there's, there's quote unquote baggage that people have already heard over and over again. And then there's baggage that's new and baggage that, that is new politically tends to be a lot more salient, right? Which is, yeah. which is why in 2016, they weren't talking about whitewater. They had to come up with a right. whole brand new thing about emails and, and, right. and uh, Benghazi. And so that's the, that to me, if you're just talking politically, that's the risk is yeah. with Biden, people have, ex there's a certain amount of, they may not like the idea that he's running in, they may not like any of that, but when it comes down to making a choice, if if the argument about the economy has been made and people feel like, hey, this is a good uh, 
way to stop the to obstruct the extremism coming from the other side they'll accept a lot of this built up baggage over time and say yeah but i know what i'm getting right. and and i just think that's that's why incumbency is so powerful is yeah. that even if you're 196 you know that or 186 that's why incumbency is is powerful well yeah and let me repeat i am you know i am the weekend at Bernie's i didn't mean to make teenager. you sound like you're against no no i am ready yeah. i'm ready to stand beside joe biden and drag him through not that he needs that right now but saying if he ever needed it i'm there and i still have a good relationship with his white house the people i know in there know how i feel about this and and like, and to their credit, none of them are defensive about it. They know this is a an argument that they need to take seriously, and they know that you know rational people can disagree about this, and they know that a lot of Democrats aren't with them on this. So they have to make the case to Democrats and to the general electorate on this. And I think the 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 best course of action here, in my opinion, is to take the 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 argument seriously. Don't dismiss it, uh, and do the best you can to mitigate it. Right and and I think in this case, I agree with you that like there are incumbency benefits, but there also were benefits. I think when Joe Biden ran last time and the reason why he was as popular as he is, is that sometimes being president just means you have to do a lot of unpopular things. Right. Um, and you also have to own crises like Afghanistan's a good example of that. Like, you know, there he had to do mm -hmm. things that he or he was in the middle of things that he wouldn't have been as a candidate or as vice president. Um, I do think it would be interesting if he decided late because I actually think that would make for a better process because I think it takes too long to run for president now. And I actually yeah. think it could be interesting to have a little bit of short-term chaos. I think it could lead to more authenticity in the race, you know, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Like people just kind of off the cuff. They can't have huge teams. They can't have these humongous budgets. Uh, it would make for a fascinating campaign. But again, I've, I hold this position at about 51% of, you know, sort of certainty. So I'm not... And you made a lot of really good points. Like maybe I'm 50-50 well, after that. Yeah. But it's also because it's academic. Because yeah. we it's we don't get a vote in right. whether he runs again or not. You know? Yeah. Um I guess we do in that there if there were a contested primary, but there there really isn't a seriously contested primary. So uh yeah. so okay. With all that said, we should get into the arguments uh against him, which you alluded to a moment ago and what the Biden campaign is trying to do now. Yeah, they have begun a messaging blitz, which is interesting because they're they're in the middle of a $25 million battleground state campaign to promote his economic record. Uh, and this is the sort of Bidenomics uh, messaging blitz. And this is really early for an incumbent. Uh, and particularly, the New York Times reports that he's concerned about young Black and Latino voters, key parts of his coalition. Uh, and if you remember what I said, if two-thirds of voters don't think he should run again, in his own party or leaning within his party. You have to find the pockets of those people and get them jazzed, right? Because what, what this is talking about is like, actually, people who are in our coalition, we need to motivate them, right? And mm -hmm. we have to use this opportunity while the Republicans are sort of battling it out, you know, if we want to be generous, uh, to, you know, sure up the narrative internally and also just keep the pressure on, get the message out about who Biden is. But as this... Uh, article makes clear it's very hard to break through in this environment right now hey, here's another just a larger question that i have about this because the the basic premise here of the article and of the conversation about biden running is uh, running again is that well his his numbers as the article puts it are, are subterranean is it 
is it possible that we're at the case, we're at the at the point where presidents running for re-election, that's the default? That that people are so dissatisfied with the general direction of the country and with the fighting between the two parties that that's going to be put on most people in these positions uh and and it's now becoming separate in a way as to whether or not people will vote for them right like like it just feels like there is a divorcing of approval numbers and vote getting that is happening uh i don't have evidence for this but this is does it feel this way to you i thought about this it's possible it's true there are kind of a couple options. One is it's always going to be baked in uh, that you know the who the president is 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 going to have like a, a ceiling and poll numbers, and then there's a question of these independents. Can you win over enough independents? And those numbers are not going to change much from election to election. You know, I remember Obama. You know, it was a different era, but in his reelection, he started more unpopular than he ended it. Um, I wouldn't expect it to be quite as dramatic as what happened in that campaign. Uh, but I think two is. And this might be where I am, is that I actually buy that argument, but it's almost like a kamikaze theory of elections, which is like, let's send people out, let them become unpopular as president. And then when we have a good alternative, switch them out. <laughs> That's kind of where I am right now. It's almost like defensive linemen in the NFL, which is like, or NHL sort of line shifting, which is like, all right, like if we've got mm -hmm. a good alternative, bring them in. Uh I mean, it's I'm, I'm being a little bit glib about that because I don't know what the, like, it's not that clean, obviously. Like, I don't know who would be picked and whether they would actually be more popular than Biden. But yeah, those are some theories. Or or third theory is that there's actually something unique about Biden, which I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not really there, like uniquely unpopular about it, him. Other than his age, which is unique. Right. Uh, yeah, to, to him. Because it, it just feels like if you are running for president at this point with the aspiration that you're going to have a large share of the population say they approve of you it just feels delusional because what has changed is that in the past it seemed like yeah look there was always going to be a percentage of the vote that you weren't going to get uh what was it that romney said that got him in so much trouble uh 46 yeah, percent of people were right. like takers or something yeah. um and you know, but whatever, like the point being, which is not what I mean, but I mean, like what Romney, yeah. I think in his mind, he was trying to say, there's a percentage of the people who are never going to vote for me. But what has changed is, is that now a substantial percentage of the people who are never going to vote for you hate you. Yeah. And, and that, that influences the people who would consider voting for you and, and, and who, and so I think it, the difference is, and this is, we're getting a little philosophical here, but I think it's important to keep in mind that if, if that means the difference here is that the people whose vote you might get might also still be in the category of people who may never say they approve of the job you're doing as president, that should be baked in, right? If there are people right. who are like, I, I can't stand the idea of Trump again, I could never vote for a party that... Uh, wants to take away my daughter's right to regulate her own body, all those things. But they listen to Joe Rogan and they mostly, you know, they're probably a guy and they mostly, you know, consume content that is sports oriented or, or entertainment and, and not a lot of politics. But 
you know, they would be willing to go vote for you because they think the economy is going in the right direction or they don't like what the other side has to say. They're A, probably never going to answer a poll, but B, if they do, they're probably going to say they don't think you're doing a good job. Right. I, I've been lately listening to uh, uh, Bill Burr's podcast. Um, and Bill Burr says a lot of stuff I disagree with, but, you know, I have some podcasts that I go to when I'm like, there's no interesting new episodes in the ones I usually listen to. So I go back and just like, we'll kind of put it on in the background. And his is very much an in the background podcast because he just kind of rambles about whatever's going on in his life. And every once in a while he gets into politics. And it's interesting because he he's really thinks that everything going on with the climate is messed up. He feels very passionately about it. He's talks a lot about the strike going on right now in Hollywood. He talks about how corporations can't be trusted. He was a Bernie Sanders guy, but he also gets really upset and says mean things about what he calls liberals, right? I think that that attitude is the is way more common than we realize. And I, and I'm I'm surrounded by a lot of people like that around here, and I think a lot of those people voted for Joe Biden last time and I think they would vote for Joe Biden the next time. Yeah. But I don't think you would ever hear them say something about why they like Joe Biden. Right. But here here's my worry is Every rational person believes there's some point that somebody is too old to be president. Maybe they don't think it's sure. 82, but if you're 102, we'd all agree that's that's something. And especially there is a, and for everybody it's different, they wind up showing signs at different points. My worry is that we cross the threshold during this campaign or during this presidency where we're forced to get on podcasts like this and pretend that things are different than what they are. And where all the other people who are like swing voters and all this, who aren't kind of like loyal Democrats, will be acknowledging realities that we aren't forced to, that we are forced to ignore uh, or mm -hmm. acknowledge and have to explain away. That is the world that I fear the most. Uh, and that is a world where Trump will win the election. Uh, and because and people will look at that and say, I'm not a weekend at Bernie's Democrat. Like, mm -hmm. I am a person who needs somebody to be lucid and clear and clearly up for the job and all that. And I am, to be clear, I'm not saying Joe Biden is there right now, but I'm saying that like with each year that hap that passes, we run the risk that he crosses that threshold. That's just what happens when you get old. My grandfather died when he was about Joe Biden's age, uh, and he was not in any way capable of doing anything during those last few years. Thankfully, Joe Biden is healthier than that. But for how long will he be healthy? I don't know. We're rolling the dice here. One thing we should point out is that he and Donald Trump are not very far apart in age. Yeah. And that uh, Donald Trump shows far more signs of a cognitive decline, in my opinion, uh, in the way he talks. Um, it, I think, is packaged better because yeah. they package him as very frenetic when he clearly is not. We don't see Trump out there anywhere near like we used to. Right. Um, and to me, if I have a concern about it, it ha you put age, you put everything else aside, it's just when you look at the poll numbers, what you have to be concerned about is, is and this is always, I think, a concern with an incumbent running for re-election, is there an adequate level of enthusiasm on our side to get the vote out? And and will, will the fear of the other side be, and I think there's a good chance it will be, yeah. be a, uh, an adequate alternative to the enthusiasm for our side? And so yeah. that's, I think, ultimately the, the big question um, as yeah. far as that sort of thing goes. So. Well, okay. All right.
is it one for us time now or <laughs> it's one for us and that there was i feel like bad because that was so uninspiring but at the end of the day the dude has with some exceptions done a very good job and we're all gonna have to work very hard to make sure that he that he gets reelected. So, yes, Dad. All right. Yes, Dad. I will. Uh, okay. Uh, all right. Update. All right. You want me to tee up? What, let me ask you. Okay. Let me, let me do this. So, in the one for us, this is one that if you usually skip out on this, folks, you want to stick around for this. Ravi has had a tennis. Ma- no, you want know you tell them about. Well, this okay. Thing I made a bet. With I'm a about to mine. find out live whether you going lost back a bet to, and have April, to get a tattoo on There's a buddy of mine, Mickey, who grew up playing tennis in Brazil, and I just started playing tennis the past year and a half. We made a bet that we would play a tennis match, and that just happened this past weekend. And whoever loses would have to get a tattoo on their butt that says Pura Vida, which is a Costa Rican saying. Uh, and so I'll cut to the chase on this one. I, is, I have been asking. I've been all. I've been like, "Hey, what happened?" And which tells you everything finally. you need to know. I lost. Well, uh, oh, and, I'm sorry. Because finally, you were like, "I'll tell you on air, so you can react." Oh, I really it, thought you were going to tell me you won. There's two stories to to say here. One is I lost, and it was pretty decisive. He's good at tennis, uh, much better <laughs> than sucks. I expected. Two is uh, whenever we get this thing, he's going to do it with me. Uh, which is great, really? which is good on him. I did tell him before the match that I would do it with him, but that's when I was confident that I was going to win the match. Uh, but that was also my way of depressurizing the the match for myself, so uh-huh. I could tell myself that it was going to go. Uh, and there were some very, and I feel like he felt bad because there were a very strange day of theatrics, which was like we had a match scheduled for uh, 10 a.m. at Columbia University, which is in the Upper Manhattan. Um, and I got to Columbia at 8 a.m. and did a whole match with a different friend of mine to warm up. And then I got a call saying that they were moving the match to Prospect Park, which is over an hour away in Brooklyn two hours later. So it would be at high noon. Oh, that's um, Now, I would have probably lost this match either way. So I don't want to say this was an excuse. But when I got to this match, I was not in a good mood and I was in a very bad mental state. Uh, yeah. And so it was bad. So I think my friend kind of felt bad about it. Um, and so it was like, kind of, I'll do it with you. So we're, we're going to do it at some point. Um, but yeah, not a great sports weekend. We don't even need to talk about what happened in the NFL for, I, I mean, my team did some crazy horrendous things. We probably did everybody in the AFC a solid, but the, yeah, bad sports weekend by and large, but good for Coco Guff. There's one positive of the weekend, but yeah, that's the news. I'll say one thing about the NFL weekend, which is, uh, you know, because obviously the Chiefs lost as well. But what was a neat experience for me was um, I had the Raufi brothers. Uh, my, for those who are new, the uh, Afghan family that's become part of our family, et cetera. Uh, the Raufi brothers uh, over uh, to our house to watch the Chiefs game, and you know they have no they they have no experience with American football and have and but they live in Kansas City now, so they're very aware that like. We probably should learn about they, they're sports fans anyway, but they're like, we need to learn about football because clearly it's like you can't <laughs> live in Kansas City and not know how to talk about football. And so they came over, and what was just really interesting was one, you know, it was fun teaching them the game and explaining, you know, a down, and, and they got it really quickly and, and they were really enjoying it. What was really interesting is just everybody who's like a, a longtime football fan who's lost perspective over this should have the experience of sitting with people who have never seen American football and watching them react to the utter violence of the game because it really gives you perspective over I mean, that's, how that's actually that bonkers it is. Afghanistan in the, in the dead of night. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, like, are violent. <laughs> like these guys have been through some stuff and they were like, 
whoa like you could see they were like physically jumping up from you know like like uh, flinching at hits and uh anyway so that that was interesting to see okay uh before we go um i do want to plug something which is that uh ravi and i on uh, september 23rd so coming up like in just over a week uh we'll be uh at the tribune fest in austin texas for the texas tribune and doing a live uh episode uh in person of uh, majority 54 where we'll have a guest and 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 uh, and we're gonna sit and do this but not, we're gonna not do just it any in a guest, place where Jason. you can sit in the audience you are not an oc fan, tell him. clearly ben mckenzie no i'm uh, not and OC i don't fan. really I'm, you have no idea how yeah, big ahead. that show is in the i have reading to do before this yeah so uh ben mckenzie who's the uh the you know main character in the oc uh, is now a a crypto expert and he's a crypto skeptic and so he'll be with us uh, and we'll be talking about, you know, where cryptocurrency stands today, but really broaden out the conversation to talk about just fads in general and kind of like the culture of entrepreneurship in this country to, I'm making this up on the spot, by the way, you're looking at me like, no. is that what we're talking about? Uh, but we're, we're, we're going to kind of broaden out the discussion to talk about just like why it is that we as an American society kind of like go from every couple of years from one fad to the next and and hype it up and what that says about our politics listeners ravi is being generous we're broadening out the conversation so that i can participate uh, because <laughs> i will be so out of my depth whereas you and 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 ben will have a rich discussion and could and i'm sure will before and after the show about crypto and skepticism and all of these things that i don't understand but we will broaden it out so that i can also sit there and look a lot less stupid and i really appreciate that and probably so do our I will, listeners i will say the the Best approach to crypto, which I actually think we'll talk about during this interview, at the, the height of it, was to ask questions that the average person would ask because these so-called experts were all pretending, right? So I think the what, one thing we'll get to in this is, and this is true, this should be true of anybody listening to any policy discussion, whenever people are using jargon or they're, they're coming up with complex explanations and all that, the, the, the smartest thing to do is to ask the question that seems really dumb. And I think that is, that'll be a theme when we talk about crypto, which is like when you're like, well, well, how does that work? You're saying people can use this money. Like, is there a store? Can I go to a coffee shop and buy a coffee with this crypto? Is there anywhere in the world I can do that? Why not? Right? Like, these are the questions that you ask about things yeah. like that. And you can, people will make you feel dumb about it, but you're actually, the smart thing to do is ask those questions, you know? And so, uh, yeah. yeah um, since we have a little time left, I'll tell a story that I heard Joe Poznanski tell not long ago, uh, who's my favorite sports writer. And he talked about when he was a brand new reporter, um, he uh, sat down. With, I can't remember who the pitcher was, but it was this legendary pitcher. And he got to sit down with him in the dugout. And there were all these other reporters around. And Joe Poznanski said to him, he was like, hey, I have a question. Um, what's the difference between a slider and a curveball? And he said all the other sports reporters laughed at him and everything. And then, and then this pitcher went through and like gave him a really detailed explanation. And then all the other all the other reporters left and the pitcher looked at him and he was like, Hey kid, uh, none of those guys know the difference between a slider and a curveball. <laughs> and so it's, it's sort of the same deal, but all right. Uh, so anyway, if you're interested in going to that, um, you can get tickets by just looking up the Tribune Fest if you're in Austin and we would look forward to seeing you. So, uh, thanks everybody as usual for, for listening to this. We did it again, Ravi. Uh, we got to the end. Remember to subscribe to majority 54, wherever you listen to audio podcasts, just search majority 54 and please leave a five-star review. Thank you to the Midas mighty. Remember we all have a platform. Make sure to Use yours today.